This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Building a Successful Bundle, today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast, sponsored by Innovalon. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto. With one week to go before HFMA's annual conference in Nashville, we have a special episode today with some of the folks who will be there making it happen. I'll share an interview with Dr. Brittany Cunningham at Vanderbilt University Medical Center about how to build a successful bundled payment program. I'm also talking with some folks from our sponsor organization, Anovalon, about cash flow challenges. But first, let's check in with our news team. Here's HFMA Senior Editor Nick Hutt and HFMA Policy Director Sean Stack. Good day, everyone. We wanted to talk about a new federal model that is shaping up to have an impact on primary care. CMS is calling it the Making Care Primary Model, and it's set to be piloted in eight states. There's going to be an emphasis on funding enhanced care management and care coordination, including by strengthening care transitions from primary care to specialty settings, as well as addressing the social determinants of health. Overall, it's really about trying to support especially smaller practices and moving into value-based payment arrangements. So, Sean, what's your perspective on this new effort? I'm excited about, you know, the prospect of this of this new model, given that, you know, it takes that that flat primary care visit fee or payment and then adds a population-based payment and then a performance-based adjustment. I think it's going to be moving us to a platform or or a payment model that focuses more on, you know, health equity of those seriously ill patients, like you were saying, Nick. Hopefully, you know, the proof will be in the pudding, but we'll see what the ease of the administrative requirements for reporting are as we study this, you know, new model more closely, if that makes sense, because CMMI is trying to really make these less administratively burdensome to deploy, if you will. Are you following that closely, Nick? I assume you are. Yeah, the the bureaucratic aspect of some of these models is always an issue to watch out for. And hopefully CMS has kind of learned from past experience and and will streamline those requirements. I think an apparent sign of how seriously that CMS is taking this initiative is the fact that it's set to run for 10 and a half years, starting in July 2024, compared with a lot of these pilot models that are two, three, four years. CMS says this model is going to build on lessons learned from the comprehensive primary care iterations for anyone who may remember those models from a few years back. And it's going to incorporate state Medicaid programs with plans also in the works to coordinate with commercial insurers. So we have to see how that plays out. I agree with you. I think that's going to be very interesting as well, Nick. And, 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 you know, with that common focus, which we're, I think the industry is now beginning to really tone in on the soul of this model, which is, like you said, to advance 
primary care and keep patients and reduce patients' hospitalizations as much as possible. I think this is zeroing in on the way healthcare providers have been, you know, focusing their efforts coming out of the pandemic and going into the pandemic. It, it really is a nice nod to the practices that we've been focusing on all along, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Just a few more details on how the model will work. Uh, there are three tracks based on how much experience a practice has with value-based payment and alternative payment models. The track for beginners, so to speak, will include enhanced federal payments for practices to build the infrastructure needed to support care transformation. And then the more advanced tracks will feature greater opportunities to earn incentive payments based on performance. So if you're a practice in the following eight states, that's Colorado, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Mexico, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, or Washington, then you'll be able to apply to participate in this model at the appropriate time. And we can include a link to the model's homepage in the episode notes so you can get more information. So we wanted to briefly mention HFMA's comment letter to CMS on the FY24 proposed rule for the inpatient prospective payment system. Sean, you were very much involved in writing up the letter. We talked about the proposed rule a few episodes ago and had some concerns that I think were reflected in this letter. But can you just share some key points that were raised in this correspondence? Absolutely, Nick. So first of all, you know, we, of course, addressed in our comments the update of 2.8% to the fee schedule. You know, that's very inadequate and certainly does not capture the unprecedented inflation environment and wage labor cost um, increases at hospitals have ensued over the last three years. Again, that analysis and an increase is kind of a product of a time-lagged assessment that, that CMS uses on historical data to forecast its, its future rate setting. So we did comment on that in the rule. We, of course, talked about Becker's articles re- reporting of 19 hospital closures last year and bankruptcies, you know, in 2022 and, you know, the economic woes that hospitals are definitely facing and continue to face in today's market. And as far as the disproportionate share comments, we really focused on, you know, CMS's underestimated growth in utilization of Medicare fee-for-service uninsured population. We felt that they were out of line for um, the uncompensated care numbers that they published, saying that we think the uninsured rate is going to be much higher, giving the turnoff of Medicaid in each state over this next 12 to 16 months as redeterminations are coming out. And then HFMA also urged CMS to provide clarification around part one and part two of the S-10 in the distribution of future Medicaid and compensated care payments. They still have not been clear on which which part will be tracked to set those um, disproportionate share payments to hospitals in the future. We talked about the high cost outlier threshold, not very different from last year just saying that these, you know, the, the high cost outlier threshold increased again, not to the point that it was increased last year, but this is making high cost outliers, of course, much more unattainable for those patients who remain in the hospital and, and need um, safe places to reside where they recuperate, even though it might not be medically necessary, the social determinants of health factors for the patients hold them inpatient. Um, we talked about hospital wage index and those um, that ex- CMS's comprehensive examination of the hospital area wage index in our letter. Of course, we were in support of the value-based programs health equity adjustment and are looking to 
CMS to encourage more involvement in this area for alternative methods, helping and identifying and supporting hospitals who do serve a significant portion of underserved patients. So that's something that we're really looking for CMS to continue supporting in the future. And then, of course, the reporting of those homelessness codes we are in strong support of. We feel hospitals should be recognized and reimbursed for the additional utilization management and case management skills um, and resources they're, they're pouring into clearly the most vulnerable in their communities and supporting those patients. So, hey, Sean, thanks for the information and the insight. And uh, everybody, we'll talk to you next time. HFMA has an impressive lineup of speakers slated to take the stage at our annual conference, and today I'm excited to feature one of them on the podcast. Dr. Brittany Cunningham is Vice President for Episodes of Care at Population Health at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. She'll be speaking at the conference about how her organization built a successful bundled payment program. I was able to catch up with her recently to get a little preview. This program was created out of our experience working with value-based care programs with Medicaid and Medicare over the last 10 years. And we decided to create a commercial-based direct-to-employer program where we look at the clinical, financial, and service components of our clinical program at Vanderbilt, and we wrap a payment model around it. And then we go direct to employers and contract with them in a value-based care space. So tell us a little bit about what bundles you started with and kind of where you went from there. So in 2019, when we started this program, we thought we were really going to go forward with the musculoskeletal space, which is a pretty typical bundle payment. And partnering with our some of our employers in, in our area, so uh, Metro National Public Schools is one of our key partners and the Vanderbilt Health Employer Plan is another one of our uh, key partners. We had conversations with them and they said their biggest pain point was maternity spend. So we started with maternity and we built out a maternity bundle that includes all maternity services from the first prenatal appointment all the way out to three months after delivery. So it's really everything very comprehensive related to the maternity needs for the mother. On our pre-call for this conversation, for this recording, you said maternity might not be as standardized or kind of easy to do this with as other things might be. Can you expand on that a little bit? There are some bundles that are very straightforward, and then there are some bundles that are not as straightforward. So as I mentioned, the total joint bundle, I think, is one that may be a little bit more straightforward. You have your consult visit, your surgery, your post-surgery appointments, maybe some rehab, and those are the more straightforward bundles. But maternity is has nine months of services before you deliver. So you have ED visits, you have observation stays, you have ultrasounds, you have high-risk mothers, you have multiple gestations, you have a lot of variation just in those services because of the needs of the mother. And then uh, obviously we cover services all the way to three months post-delivery. So again, it's very long, it's very comprehensive what we include. 
and we also include all mothers, uh, no matter if you are multiple gestation, if you're high risk OB. So we include everything that the mother needs and also the newborn up to NICU. I want to talk about results in a minute because I know that you've gotten some good results from that. What have you added since you started with maternity? How has the program progressed? We have expanded since 2020. So we now have seven programs live and uh, things like my weight loss health. So we have surgical and medical weight loss. We have an ortho suite, which has shoulder osteoarthritis, the the hip and knee surgeries. So we have um, many others than just maternity. Over the last three years, we've added multiple programs through that experience. So let's talk about results. What results can you share from the programs that you have so far? So we measure our program in three different ways. We have our clinical, our service, and our financial results. So we have those those three components. And then we have, in terms of results, the employer and the employee have seen savings. So in the first year, we had about a million dollar savings to the employee, sorry, employer, and also the employee, the members saw financial savings because we were able to waive the patient share to the employees. Clinically, we've seen a decrease in maternity. Specifically, we've seen a decrease in C-section rates. We blend the C-section and vaginal deliveries together. So we've taken that incentive away to the providers to do more C-section rates. So we've seen a a decrease in those C-section rates. And then in service, we have seen a very high net promoter score in the 80s and low 90s, which in healthcare, the average is closer to 30. So we have seen an extremely high net promoter score. That means that they're recommending to their friends and family. So I know a lot of thought and planning goes into each of these programs. What is your advice or maybe lessons learned to share with with people who might want to learn more, might want to look into programs like this? We start with the clinical component first. And so understanding the clinical pathway and then putting the payment model around it. Medicare really starts with the payment model first and then pushing it out to providers. So we are really focused on how do we enhance the clinical pathway and then um, changing the payment model, which I think has been really the way that we have been successful. So what do you think is the future for your bundles? What are you looking at perhaps adding in the future? We're actually currently building a cancer model. We are expanding into the heart uh, space. And so we are always looking for other areas that we can add value for the members and for the employers uh, in those domains of clinical, financial, and service. Well, I very much look forward to seeing you in Nashville in just a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm getting my bags packed. So thank you so much for joining me today. A lot to look forward to. Cash flow is a long-standing issue for many organizations, but workforce shortages and other factors have exacerbated the problem in recent years. Today, I'm talking with Lori Zindel, Vice President of Business Development at Innovalon, and Rachel Dahlman, Director of Revenue Cycle at Phelps Memorial Health Center in Nebraska, about how technology can help with cash flow discrepancies. Dahlman started things off by talking about the biggest challenges healthcare organizations are facing today. 
the lack of visibility into revenue projections each month. I've spent a tremendous amount of time running reports and metrics out of our EHR system to try and gauge where we're going to come out and where we're going into the next month. And with that, you know, unknown payer performance, we don't have a lot of visibility in their systems as far as cash projection and metrics like that. Unless you're manually tracking denials in your EHR as EOBs and remits come in, it's been very difficult to gauge and really track the metrics um, without manually doing that. Um, And just mainly the financial metrics being in the dark, unless you're willing to put in a lot of time and effort in tracking those manually out of an EHR system. Yeah, I I agree with what Rachel is saying. The typical way of projecting your cash or knowing where you're going to be. I I own a billing company for 30 years. So we we would literally close our month and go back and say, oh my gosh, we had a bad cash month. (laughs) You know, we'd hope for this number, but when it didn't come true, you know, it shouldn't hope about cash. It needs to be something that you're have visibility into on a daily basis. And so it was always going backwards to say what happened. And I think that if you don't have a tool that is telling you on a daily basis, you know, payers change their rules constantly. So you need to know that and not always have to go retrospectively. Oh my gosh, we had a coding delay or we had a payer issue and all that. You can't operate that day with the the margin shrinking and our reimbursement going down across the board. You've got to have tools available like keep track of that and keep complete visibility and not in the dark, as Rachel had said. So you're talking about some pretty cumbersome manual processes if you try to do this manually. What is the role of data and technology in positively impacting your financial operations and turning some of these around? The data is all there. I, I know we, we say we have all these standard formats. We have the 835 remittance. We have the 837 claim information you know, we have it there. It's presenting it in a meaningful way, I think, that makes the difference with technology. You can have all of this information. You can run a bunch of spreadsheets. You can do all of the pivot tables you want and all that, but that takes time. That takes resources. And what you need is a tool and it's available with today's technology. It's available where it bubbles up and it shows you the picture exactly what action you should take, what's impacting your AR or your cash flow the most, you know, helps you prioritize what to work on. Because that's the other thing is you can go into that data overload because there is so much data available. So, you know, we try to to make dashboards and, and things that really paint a picture of what's going on, makes it really easy to change course if something is not working and tells you what's not working so that it is easy to change course and make corrections maybe before the month end in order to you know recoup the cash that might be impacted by a peer issue, things like that. How do those ideas kind of manifest themselves in, in real life, in real time? How does it work for you? I would agree with Lori. You have to lean on technology so that you're not looking at manual processes and a whole lot of time. Directors and the revenue cycle are busy for a number of reasons. We don't have the time to sit down and run the metrics. And that's where Innovalon has really come with a solution that works, that gives us the transparency and the visibility. It's a snapshot. You can look and see, just like Lori said, where the problems are where you need to re-steer the ship uh, to get ahead of those issues and really being proactive 
rather than reactive and really getting ahead of the issues before they become much bigger problems. All right. Well, thank you both for joining me today. I look forward to seeing Innovalon at the 2023 annual conference this year in Nashville. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Visit Innovalon.com to learn more. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Additional reporting is done by Nick Hutt, Sean Stack, and the HFMA editorial team. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is the director of content. Our president and CEO is Ann Jordan. We hope to see you in Nashville next week.